book of Genesis, chapter number six, verses number five. There are just a few um, nuggets that I want to glean again from uh, that we didn't get a chance to really dive into on last week. Genesis chapter number six, verses number five, the Bible declares, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Six declares the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them, the animals, the birds, and the creatures. That's, that's interesting. That's interesting. God, God is upset at humanity, but there are other things that are connected to humanity that gets the wrath of God because mankind is disobedient. I just want to pause there, not in my notes, but it just jumped out at me. When you disobey God and God winds up punishing you or disciplining you, just think for a moment the people that are connected to you who also suffer when you suffer. The Bible declares, he says, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. Verse number eight is where I'm going to hang my hat. But Noah found, somebody shout favor. Everybody in the sanctuary scream favor. If you're watching online, type favor. The Bible declares, but Noah found favor. KJV says grace in the eyes of the Lord. Father, now in Jesus' mighty name, I want to thank you once again for this opportunity, God, to minister the word of God to the people of God. I realize of myself, I'm absolutely nothing, but because of your call upon my life, because of the favor that you have placed upon my life, God, I say yes. And God, I'm going to do my very best to bring you glory on today. And it is in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, so um, rock with me just for a moment. My wife and I, we've been having an interesting conversation for the past four or five years concerning succession uh, planning. Um, and and uh, we, it was interesting before we went to um, Hawaii on last year. Um, we, we finished a portion of our wheel, and it's, it's, it was just crazy because we were thinking, Chet, what if we get over there and we can't come back? Um, you know, what, what happens in, in our demise? And so in this conversation, it's not just about who gets our stuff upon our death, but out of all the responsibilities that God has entrusted to my wife and myself, um, who can we depend on? Who are those core groups of individuals that we can depend on that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they would carry on uh, the torch, that they, would, that they would bring to fruition, to completion, the things that God showed us but that we might not necessarily be able to carry out? And I want to I throw that ball also in your court. First of all, if you don't have a wheel, you need to look at your neighbors and neighbor, you need a wheel. Yes, yes, you will not live forever on this side. <laughs> you would, well, Pastor, I ain't got a lot of stuff. Well, you need to name a successor for the little stuff that you say that you do have. Can somebody say amen to that? So it's not just about who gets our stuff, but it's about who carries on the legacy that God has started on the inside of us. So, again, I'm challenging you, who who is the individual if you were unable, if you were unable to finish raising your kids? Who would, you, who would you assign and say, I want you to, to bring up my son. I want you to bring up my, my, my daughter. I, I, want, I want you. Sister Jamie, she said, the devil is alive. I just resurrect myself and Chris. Because can't nobody handle Carson but me. <laughs> who, who's the individual that, that God gives you an assignment? He gives you a dream but you won't be able to carry out that assignment in your lifetime. Who do you pass the torch on to? Here's the next question. Not only who do you pass the torch on to, what is the one characteristic about that individual that causes you to arrest your fears and your doubts about them doing what you're asking them to do? Think about that just for a moment. Um, one of my family members went to, um, had a surgery on a couple of, couple of weeks ago, and um, they had... Uh, someone come to the house and to pick them up in preparation for the surgery. And as I thought about this message, I thought about that. Out of all the people in the world, they could have called to come pick them up because they couldn't be, they could not have been late for the, for, for the appointment. 
They had to be there at a particular time, and the person had to be uh, uh, dependable to, to drive them there, to wait on them, and then to bring them back to, to the house. Out of all the people in the world that you chose, why did you choose her? So not only who, but what is the characteristic about the individual that causes you to say, I want you? I believe that God goes through this same deliberation process when he gets ready to choose people to carry out an assignment. Understand, in Genesis chapter number 6, God has an assignment in store, and the man that he chooses for it cannot fail. Somebody shout, cannot fail. Listen, he has 120 years to build an ark and to preach the good news of the salvation that the ark will provide. And God says, for this great assignment, you don't have 123 years, you don't have 124 years, you have 100... 120 years, the ark has to be done, and you have to be finished ministering this good news that the ark provides safety. God chooses a man by the name of Noah. The Bible declares that God, watch this, finds favor in the eyes, uh, Noah finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, in verses number eight, what this favor simply means is that God says, I choose you as the individual that I'm going to depend on. Now, we understand that God has foreknowledge, that he is omniscient, so he could have looked beyond. Matter of fact, it ain't even looked beyond. God is not limited by time. God is in your past, present, and future all at the same time. He's just that big. So he could have used his, his omniscience to know that Noah was going to be faithful th to this task. But, but the challenge of verse number 8 is not written from a divine perspective. When I, when I look at verse number 8, it's written more so from a humanistic perspective. In essence, the writer is saying that God looked at Noah and there was some particular characteristic in Noah that God says, I see a characteristic in you that I know because that is there. You will be faithful concerning the thing that I am calling you to do. I want to highlight what that characteristic is. The Bible declares, but Noah found favor. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In the book of James, chapter number four, verse number six, the Bible declares, but he gives more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows what, y'all? Favor to the what, y'all? To the humble, we are almost there. Verse number five of First Peter five, the Bible declares, "In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to the to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but He shows favor to what, y'all." Here it is. So God says, I have an assignment that needs to be carried out that you cannot fail in this particular assignment. So I'm looking throughout all the earth for a man that will commit himself to what I asked him to do. What is that one characteristic that this person has to have above all the other virtues that the scripture lists? What is this one virtue that this man has to have that I will know for sure that he will carry out my assignment? He must be humble. I must see humility on the inside of him. So, so watch this. I just want to hang my hat on this thought of humility. I've been reading this phenomenal book by Peter Wagner, and it's simply entitled Humility. And I want to read a quote from the book. But one of the things that he says that, uh, Chad, I'm really just tripping on right now. He challenges pastors, and he says, the average pastor has less than five books in his library on humility. And humility is the number, out of all other virtues that the scripture lists, humility is the one virtue that a man has to have if God is going to use him. In your entire library, he says the average pastor, he's going to have plenty books on marriage. He's going to have books on the gifts of the spirit. He's going to have books on faith. But the one virtue that is mandatory, if God's going to choose you, the one virtue that's mandatory is that this man has to have humility. I, I want to encourage you, if you don't have a book, I'm not talking about a book on faith and one chapter is assigned to humility. If you don't have a, at least one book on, in your library that specifically focuses on humility, I want to recommend Wagner's book. Peter says, watch this. He says, if you are a pastor or if you have been around pastors very much, you will recognize this scenario. A group of pastors hangs out together. They drink coffee, eat some sweets, and have a good time. Suddenly, 
a big smile forms on the face of one pastor, and he says, hey, guys, I just finished my new book, Humility, and how I attained it. Everybody has a good laugh. So I suppose that I have personally heard this at least half a dozen times. It has become a standard clergy joke. He goes on to say, a joke. Why would this be regarding, excuse me, why would this be regarded as humorous? It is considered a laughing matter because among pastors, it is commonly assumed that none of them could ever truly be humble. Moreover, saying that they themselves attain humility would be seen as an expression of pride and therefore nullify any humility that might have been achieved. Prior to my study on this subject, that was my mindset. Humility was something that you strive for, but you never really get to a place where you can, you can just really say, you know what, I am an humble person. And even if you do get to that place and you say, I am an humble person, I always question the person who self-proclaims that they are humble. That's the way that I thought. But when I started looking a little closer at the scripture, look at James chapter number four, verse number 10. The Bible declares, um, somebody shall humble yourself. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not, watch this, do not slander one another. Let's pause at verse number 11. Pop, if somebody came to me and they asked, Pastor McGee, are you a slanderer? I would, I would boldly profess that that's not who I am. I don't slander people, man. I don't, I don't give false accusations to tear people down. Matter of fact, if you came to me with foolishness about any, ooh, pastor, did you, did you hear what hurt, what, what happened to such and such? I would, I would shut you down, if not shut you down. I just changed the subject so fast. Well, how your mama and them doing? Because I don't talk about people, and because I don't talk about people, because I don't put people down like that, if you ask me, am I a slander, I would boldly say, I am not that. Well, with the same confidence that God wants you to say, I am not a slanderer, he wants you, according to verse number 10, to be able to say, I am humble. Because he says, humble what, y'all? Yourselves. Hmm. First Peter 5 and 5 says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility. The idea is, just like you woke up this morning and you decided where you were going and the temperature that it was going to be outside, you chose clothes in preparation for where you're going. I believe God is challenging the body of Christ. There's a place of favor that I want to bring you to, and if you're going to reach that place, you have to... You have to put on humility. Somebody shout, humility is my responsibility. It says, clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God, look at this, y'all, he opposes the proud. This is crazy. In this verse, you see an active and a passive form of humility. E either you actively, watch this, humble yourself or God's going to passively humble you. Sound, sound like my mama and I'm growing up. Watch, watch this. this. This was like the craziest thing to me. This is the crazy thing. My dad here come to me and say, either you clean your room or I'm going to clean it. Anybody have one of them active, passive parents like that? Watch this. Either you pull your grades up or I'm going to pull them up. Now, now watch this. Whenever they said it like that, for whatever reason, I just didn't want their help. Because my daddy, he was so crazy. He'll walk in the room, and he, he, I don't care what was on the floor. He said, all this right here, put it in the trash now. But, Dad, <laughs> it don't matter. If you ain't going to clean it up, I'm going to clean it up. God says, if you don't humble yourself, I'm going to, look, look at this. Why would he threaten me to be humble if I can't achieve it? He says, God opposes the proud but shows what, y'all? He shows favor and grace to the humble. Somebody shout again, humility is my responsibility. It's your responsibility. So let's dive a little bit deeper. I want to give, let's, let's give some color to this. Let's, let's show this definition. Humility, a humble heart recognizes personal limitations due to one's finite amount of resources and adheres to boundaries set by virtue of one's role. Now, I know that definition is kind of choppy, but it's going to make sense in just a minute. A humble heart, number one, recognizes personal limitations due to one's finite amount of resources, or it adheres to boundaries that are set by virtue of one's role. So this is what, what I did. Um, Sister Connie, I, I was praying, and I said, okay, God, 
if you desire for us to be humble and you desire for us to boldly be able to be in a position where we say, I am, I am, I am an humble person, what are tests, what are things that we can see in our lives that could point to the fact that we are humble? Again, if you go back to the example of a slanderer, I can boldly say that I am not a slanderer. Watch this. I don't talk about people. People bring me stuff about other people that I have to address, and that's okay. But if you come to me with foolishness, talking about some pastor that failed, some leader that failed, some mistake that somebody made, I really don't entertain that. So I, I can look at these things that I do, and based on the things that I do against slandering, I can boldly say I, I am not a slanderer. So I, I ask God, Papa, I ask God for five tests personally. I asked him for three just for this lesson on today. So far, I've only received the three for this lesson. I'm still seeking him because I understand that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And the reason God gave favor, grace to him was because the, the, the humility that was found in his heart. So if I want to be promoted, if I want to advance in life, I'm saying, God, not only do I want to be humble, I want the signs of humility to keep myself within boundaries. Y'all ain't saying nothing in this play. So if I cross the line, I want to be able to know I crossed the line so I can get back across. So I asked God, give me five tests. Personally, give me three tests for this lesson on today. And I want to show you the three. I prayed about this. I've studied. I've read. I prayed. And this is what God gave me. The first test is the glory test. Everybody shout the glory test. In the book of Genesis, chapter number 11, verses number one, the Bible declares, now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Verse 3 declares, then they said to one another, come, let us, watch this, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had bricks for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, here it is, let us build, what, y'all, ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens, let, watch this, us make a name for who, y'all? Ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So the scripture declares, verse number five, God, this gets God's attention. And God says to himself, if we don't interrupt this, what they, because they are on one accord, although it is selfish ambition, although it is pride driven, because they are on one accord, they're getting ready to fulfill their heart's desire. But God says, wherever I see pride, I automatically demote, I automatically bring down. So since you saying, let us build us the city, let us make Make us a name, verse number seven declares, God says, let us go down. Let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from their, excuse me, so the Lord scattered them abroad from their, from their over the face of all the earth and they ceased building the city because they were so filled with pride. They failed the glory tests. They had ambitions, but their ambitions was about themselves and not for the glory of the Lord. Matthew chapter number five, verse number 16, this is where we should be. The Bible declares in the same way, let your light shine. Somebody shout, let it shine. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. Mm. And if your light shine, the Bible declares, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. They're going to, if your light shine, people are going to see you. They're going to notice you. But here is your responsibility. If they notice you, that they may see your good deeds and do what, y'all? Glorify your Father in heaven. So a light bulb has no glory within itself. Why? Because the source of the light doesn't come from the light bulb. So it's okay if they see you preach. It's okay if they see you play. It's okay if they see you sing. That's okay. But they need to know that the source of my shine is not within, but the source of my shine comes from above. Can somebody say amen to, to that? The glory test. I would absolutely love to be able to stand before you all and say that I've passed this test every single time, but the reality is I've passed it more times than I would actually like to admit 
um, because there have been times, even in this ministry, that the glory of, Lo- of the glory of the Lord has has literally just been a thin veneer behind my own prideful motivations. Make it plain, Pastor McKay. Y'all love when I throw my own self out there. Talk when I talk when I talk about myself. You like talk, Pastor. When I talk about you, be like. I mean, it's, it's the truth. It's the truth, you know. It, it, it really, on the outside, it really did look like God was getting glory. It was for his glory. And I even said it was for his glory. But what was really pushing and motivating my ambition was the fact that I needed to see, I needed people to see that I was succeeding. I needed people to see me as a success. So although you're going to get a little glory, God, you're going to take a Watch this, watch this. Pastor, that was amazing. To God be the glory. I mean, you said it, but in all actuality, I really, I was like, give me some more. Was it really good? Tell me how good was it. Watch this. Put that definition back on the screen of humility. A humble heart recognizes, I want to run. Personal limitations due to one's finite amount of resources. This is what pride was doing for me. Um, Everybody, if you're taking notes, just jot this down. Pride will push you beyond healthy boundaries. If If you're taking notes, just jot that down. Pride will push you beyond healthy boundaries. See, when it's for your glory, you got to use your strength to keep it up. When it's for God's glory, he helps prop it up. But when it's about you, you got to do it. And when you got to do it, you wind up, watch this, this is what was happening at one point in ministry. I was breaking relational boundaries. I was breaking nutritional boundaries. I was breaking devotional boundaries all for my glory. What are you trying to say, Pastor McGee? I was so busy in the name of working for the Lord that I stopped making time for the Lord. I was breaking devotional boundaries. I was breaking relational boundaries. I should have had my tail at the house, but I was at the church. Because they, I, this, this, this message got to hit good, you understand? I got people coming tomorrow. They need to be, when I finish with that message, they need to pat me on the back and say, Pastor, you did a good job. So I ain't going home, although it's 10.30 at night. I'm still up here making sure everything gets everything. I should have had myself at home, but I'm breaking relational boundaries because it's all about God, Greg's glory and not God's. You wind up breaking nutritional boundaries during that season in my life. I wasn't eating the way I should eat. I wasn't exercising. I wasn't doing right by my body because I stretched myself beyond my limits. Put that definition back on the screen. This is what pride does. Watch this. A humble heart recognizes personal limitations. When it's for God's glory, you realize that God requires so much of you, and then you have to lean back on faith and believe that God is going to do the rest of what you cannot do. Some of us are developing a God complex where you're trying to do your job and his job at the same time. How many know God don't need your help making him look good? Matter of fact, God can look bad and ain't got no problem with it. Y'all ain't in this place. See, if you leave the house, you leave the house and you ain't dressed to the tee like you want to, you, you, you'll be feeling shame. Come on, somebody. But watch this. Jesus can come down. Watch this being born in a manger and be proud where he is because he knows who he, who he is, who he is. The glory test. Here's number two. Here's number two. Pastor, help me with this. I want to I wanna be able to say confidently that I am, I am a man of humility. I'm a woman of humility. What a test that I can look at and be able to grade myself whether I am in the boundaries of humility or pride. Number one is the glory test. Number two is the submission test. Everybody shout the submission test. When I speak of the submission test, here is the question. Have you submitted your life to the revealed will of God? I want to let that marinate just for a moment. Have you submitted your life to the revealed will of God? Watch, watch the wisdom of what I'm saying. So all of us have 
a Bible, our Bible that we follow. Um, all of us have general rules, general guidelines. But what I'm talking about here, I'm not even talking about I'm, I'm not even talking about just the Bible's uh, standards. I'm definitely not talking about legalism. What I'm talking about, Pop, is every last one of us individually, God has confronted us with something about ourselves he wants us to change. What yours is is different from mine. What mine is is different from yours. But every last one of us has something that God has revealed to us. And he says, I want you to do something about this. This is a test of submission. It's a test of, of pride or humility. Have you taken the revealed will of God and said, yes, Lord. In the book of Genesis, chapter number 22, verse number one, the Bible declares sometime later, God tested, God tested Abraham. We look at this traditionally as a test of faith, but in all actuality, what is propping up his faith is the humility that he has developed over the years. Sometime, uh, the Bible declares, uh, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac. Go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Abraham, without hesitation, humbles himself, although he don't understand. And that's what some of you guys, some of you all are trying to spiritualize it and say, I'm waiting on the Lord. But in all actuality, you are in prideful disobedience. You have not done what God has told you to do is because God has not given you the full instructions of what he wants you to do and you won't step out and fulfill the part that he already told you because he hadn't given you the rest of the information. You sir, you madam right now are in prideful disobedience. God don't have to show you all the turns before you hit go. Hebrews chapter number 11, verse number 23, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So, you know the story. They float Moses down the river. Moses, he gets, he gets adopted into the royal family. He grows up as a prince in Egypt. Verse number 24 declares, but by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, this was great honor amongst the people because if you born a slave you stay a slave Moses was born a slave but he was made a prince but he rejects his royal he rejects his royalty he rejects the benefits of being called the prince of Egypt watch this and rather chooses the verse number 25 says he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin so there came a point in Moses's life where God showed him the truth this is my will for you. This is what, I, although, although it is not comfortable, although it is challenging, you have a choice, Moses, either to remain in pride and receive the accul false accolades of the people around you or to humble yourself and become nothing before the folk around you. There are some people who are being challenged by what God has told you to do, because if you really do it, you got to go back and correct some explanation that you've previously given. Because you told, ooh, I'm, in, I'm there, I'm there, I'm there. Some of y'all made some decisions that you told the people it was God, but you know it wasn't God. Why are you doing that? This is the Lord. And it is pleasing in his sight. And God's sitting back like, you lying. I ain't told you nothing. And God has revealed to you that this is not my will for your life, but your pride won't allow you to repent and go back and tell the people, I missed. Number one is the glory test. Number two is the submission test. Have you submitted to the revealed word of God? Again, I'm not talking about legalism. Neither am I talking about just the general principles of the word. That's applicable too. But beyond that, every last one of us, every last one of us individually, God will approach us with something that's unique for us. And what's crazy about it, sometimes God will tell you to stop doing something that he won't minister to your neighbor about. And you'll be like, but they're doing it, God. <laughs> I ain't talked to them about it. I've talked to you about it. Somebody shout the submission test. Here's number three, the role test. When I talk about the role test, I'm talking about adhering to the temperament 
of the role that's been assigned to you. Now, now hear, hear me out. Hear me out. Think with me just for a moment. Um, God is creator. I am the created. Okay. Uh, God is all-knowing. I am limited in my body of knowledge. Jesus is master and Lord. I am servant. There is a great prideful temptation that would push me to alter these roles where I approach Jesus in prayer as if I'm the master and he the servant. So instead of coming to him and saying, Lord, what is your will for my life? I take a few days sabbatical and think through what I want and then I come to prayer and say, all right, Jesus, this is what I need you to do. As if I'm the one with the full body of knowledge. You have to be careful. This is a, this is a pride and humility test, adhering to the temperament of the rose. And this, this temperament that I'm talking about, it extends beyond your spiritual relationship with your, your, your spiritual father, but also to every other natural relationship that you have. Watch the wisdom of this. So, so watch this. Um, edu- educationally, educationally, I went further than my natural father did when he was in school. My dad has been an entrepreneur all of my life. I've been, a, I've been an entrepreneur by default. He made me work his business. And he ain't paid me either. I need to report you, Pop. Is it too late? <laughs> Watch this. So as an entrepreneur at age 42, there have been certain opportunities that have been afforded to me that my dad did not have at age 42. So watch this. If I was to take all of my awards, all of my certificates, all of my accumulations, at, one po- at what point could I take all of these things, stick them next to my dad and say, you know what? Based on this, you be the son and I be the daddy. At what point can I look at my accomplishments and violate the roles that have been assigned in this relationship? Some of y'all are like, that's ridiculous, but some of y'all do it on your job because you're smarter than your boss, you're more educated than your boss, and you're using your natural accomplishments to slight them. And when God is saying what's, what's slighting them is not your accomplishment, it's your prideful attitude, because watch this, when in this parental relationship, the Bible declares, honor your father and mother. It don't say honor your good father and your perfect mother. Doesn't matter what you, come, come on, sorry, it doesn't matter what you accomplish, your butt can be bigger than your mama, but that's still your mama. It's quiet up in here. So when it comes to my boss, and I've been in situations where one guy in particular that I worked for, I had master degrees. He barely got out of high school, but he telling me what to do. Don't matter. The role is he is boss, and I am his employee. So at no point do I take my accolades and use that against him or use that as an excuse to violate the role that's been assigned. It's called It even works towards my children. At what point do I be God in their lives and tell them what to do? I naturally train. I naturally teach. But when I become controlling as to what they do in their lives, then I've crossed the line over into pride. I'm playing God now as if I'm all-knowing. I'm going to be honest with y'all. I'm going to be very transparent. I didn't show it. I didn't show it. But, Pop, it broke my heart when Greg quit the band. It broke my heart. He was, because I understand my dad was a drummer. I'm a drummer. So it makes sense for my son to be a drummer. My dad was a snare player. I'm a snare player. Son, I want you on the bass. I want you on the quads. I want you on the cymbal. I want you first chair snare. And my son was growing and he was going. And one day around 11th grade, he came to me. He said, Dad, I'm a, I think I'm going to quit the band. And I was like, I'm a supportive father. Whatever you want to do, son, I support you. Right now, I can't stand you, though, but I support you. (laughs) Why would I play God in his life? And watch this. Miss my blessing of not having to pay for his school because he on a basketball scholar. Don't don't make me run up. (laughs) 
Somebody shout, I'm not God. I'm not God, but he, he is. So here's the command. This is so good. James 4 and 10 says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. That's good. That's good. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law. So just like I want you to be able to say I'm not a slanderer, I want you to be able to say I am humble. Hmm. James 4 and 6 says, this is good, but he gives more grace. Hmm. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Okay, Pastor McGee, where are you going with this? So we started a brand new series on last week simply entitled The Failure of Success. The Failure of Success. What I'm intending to highlight within this series is how it's biblically defined, measured, and achieved. When you look up the word success in pretty much any dictionary, you'll see three, three main points of success. The accomplishment, it talks about the accomplishment of an aim or purpose, the attainment of fame, wealth, or social status, having favorable or desired outcomes. I'm redefining success from a biblical standpoint. And from a biblical standpoint, we define biblical success is, watch this, is n by not being measured by the accomplishments in your calling, but rather by the faithfulness to your calling. Now let's, let's pause that for a second. How many of you all received that? Receive that? So biblical success, biblical success is not about how big this church grows, but it's about how faithful, Pastor McGee, you are to ministering and doing what I've called you to do in this church. So at no point can I look at a church with 10,000 and feel inferior nor can I look at a church with 10 members and feel superior because the church with 10 members may be more successful than myself because, watch this, although they have a lower membership, lower number of people, God looks at the faithfulness of the people to what he has assigned them to do. Can somebody say amen to that? So what does this message have to do with anything, Pastor McGee? So if you like me based on this definition, how many would say I want to be successful? So if you're saying I want to be successful, in essence, you're saying I want to be what, y'all? I want to be faithful because that's what God judges success on. He looks at the one with two talents that doubled his to four. He looks at the one with five talents that doubled his to ten. And he doesn't say good and, and successful servant that doubled his numbers. No, he looks at your commitment to what I called you to do. And he says, well done, good, and what, y'all? Faithful servant. So if success is measured by faithfulness, again, I want to make sure that I'm faithful. The problem is there are some that are watching me right now. There are some that are in this sanctuary that are saying, well, pastor, that's been my problem. That's the reason I hadn't been successful, because I've been unfaithful. And in my unfaithfulness, I really don't know how to get back on track, because every time I'm convicted about my lack of productivity, I just try to work harder I try to put more time in. I try to be more diligent. But I'm challenging you today. The key to success is faithfulness. The key to faithfulness is humility. The Bible declares that God, watch this, he gave Noah favor. Why did he give Noah favor? He gave Noah favor because I see a virtue on the inside of you that throughout history, everybody that completed tasks that I wanted them to complete the way I wanted them to complete it. They had this virtue of humility. So out of all the men in the earth, out of all the people in the entire earth, I know you, Noah, will accomplish what it is that I'm calling you to do because I see humility on the inside of you. So if I want to be a success, I need to be faithful. If I want to be faithful, I need to be found clothed with humility. How can I clothe myself with humility? In every endeavor, I need to do a glory test. In the businesses that I start, in the ministries that are implemented, at the core, I need to search my soul and really ask God, who gets the glory out of this endeavor? 
not only do I need to do the glory test, I need to do the submission test. And what I am striving to do, I'm hearing you challenge me to do certain things, to give up certain things, to go, to reach out to certain. It's, it's so interesting. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Just yesterday, just yesterday, um, I, I felt this, this soft impression, soft impression. And God spoke to me very softly. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was very soft. And he says, I'm giving you a, a new friend. Now, I got excited about that, Magellan, because that's fantastic. Somebody I can kick it with, somebody I can talk to, somebody I can bounce thoughts and ideas off of. So I'm, I'm praising God. I'm praising God, Brother Jones, until he shows me the face of the new friend that he's giving me. So I, I didn't say it, but I thought to myself, the devil is a lie. Well, Pastor McGee, will you pass the submission test? Because evidently God sees something in this individual that's going to benefit both of you all. So in your own pride, will you keep him at arm's length? Or will you embrace who I have told you to embrace to be a friend in your life? I want to help somebody in this place. Number one is the glory test. Number two, the submission test. Number three is the role test. Despite your superior achievements, performance, accolades, and compared to people who God has placed over you, will you refuse to use your accomplishments as a tool to usurp them in their authority. So if I made you dumber than them, you would have no problem saying, yes, sir. Yes, sir. If I stripped you of your possessions and your goods and I gave it all to them, you would have no problem looking up to them and saying, yes, whatever I can do to help. But if I choose to bless you with more than what your boss has, more than what your parents has, more than what your superiors have, if I give you advanced knowledge, skill, can you maintain your temperament in the role and still honor them although you have more than them? The role test. So, box one, role test. Check. <laughs> Submission check. Check. Glory test. Check. I can see in what I'm doing. God is getting the glory. I can see that I'm, I'm submitting myself to what he's revealed me to do. Hmm. Despite what he blessed me with, the people who are over me, the people who have authority over me, I make a, the sacrificial choice to still honor them on their position, not based on what they have or don't have. So based on these three tests, I can boldly say I'm walking in humility. Here's the good news. If I'm walking in humility, God sees that on the inside of me. And when he sees this, the Bible declares he opposes the prideful, but he gives grace. He gives favor. He opened up doors. He gives opportunity. Watch this to the humble. So when I have an humble heart, a humble heart, watch this. I ain't got to knock on doors. I ain't got to kick doors down. Doors just fly open. You know why? Because God says, I can trust you to be faithful in this door, in this relationship, with this opportunity, because you're maintaining your humility. You know what would be crazy? People will be looking at you, and they'll see you with your hammer, and they'll see you building an ark. Oh, so that's how you do the hammer, like that. <laughs> so that's how you drive the nails. My dad used to get on to me about driving nails. I used to hate it, and I still don't drive them the way you do it. My daddy will tap it, pop, pow, go through just like that, driving the nails, pop, pow. I'd be like, pop, 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 pop. I ain't going to hit my fingers. Oh, so that's how you build that. So that's how you preach. The, that's how you preach. That's how you minister to people. You tell them, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. 
That's how you do, that's how you do it. So people will emulate you with your external characteristics, but then God gives you an opportunity to say, it's not about the external, it's about the internal, that God promotes me and advances me. It's not about ooh, what I do, but it's about the heart that I have. So if you like me and you're saying, Pastor, I want to be considered a success. And I see in order to be considered a success, then the true fruit of successfulness is faithfulness. And the true root of faithfulness, watch this, it is a spirit of humility. Help me to be humble today. So here's what I want to end this message with. I'm done. I want to ask you the question, where are you failing the test of humility? I'll be honest with you. For some of y'all, this is going to be very, very challenging because for some of you all, even as I ministered on humility, your pride was trying to argue. <laughs> Sometimes I play with my wife and I, I absolutely love it because I'd be wrong, but I, I argue like I'm right. You know what I'm saying? So like I leave some, some socks or something in the floor and she's like, Greg, can you get your sock? What do you mean can I get my socks? You saw my socks. Why you didn't get my socks when you saw them? You called me way out of the kitchen to get my socks. And the reality is if you would have woke me up earlier, I would have had enough energy to get my socks myself. So it ain't my fault my socks are in the floor. It's your fault because you ain't wake me up. <laughs> and I love it. I love it. That yellow woman be turning red. <laughs> So some of you all, your pride was helping you argue against every test. Yeah, I hear the submission test. I'm saying I, I did what God told me, but I ain't going to be no complete fool. Now you got to use common sense sometime. Yeah, I know, I know what he, I hear what he's talking about, the road test. I hear what he's talking about. I'm, I'm going to stay in my position. But when they wrong, I'm going to tell them every single time. I'm going to let them know. And in the role test, God is not asking you, watch it. There is a such thing as healthy confrontation. The scripture talks about it, even for superiors. There's a way to healthy, uh, to, to, to go about confronting them in a, in, a, in a respectful manner. Some of you all, your pride was talking you out of it. But in order for you to change, in order for you to confront pride, you have to first be honest and you have to say, Pastor, God, Lord, everybody in the sanctuary is me. I'm battling with the road test. I've let my accomplishments be used as a tool to show disrespect towards other people. Done that. I'm the one. I'm treating my, my daddy like the son and like I'm the father. I'm, I'm treating my boss. I'm calling them out of their name. I'm smiling in their face, but I'm talking behind their back just like everybody else is. Yeah. <laughs> I know more Greek and Hebrew words than my pastor, so... I tell him good sermon, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm, I'm messing up this role test. I'm messing up the glory test. I'm messing up the glory test. I, I told people it was for your glory. I advertised it was for your glory. But the reality is, if it doesn't pan out the way I think, I would be devastated because the reality is it's really all about me and not about you, Lord. You know what? Watch this, watch this, watch this. If you working for me and the business fail, who should be more devastated, you or me? I should be the one that's more devastated because it's my investment. It's my stuff. It's my business. I mean, you should feel, you know, some kind of way because, you know, you're hopeful. You, you like me. You love me. You want it to, to, to work out. But who should be most devastated? Why is it when God has you doing something, it doesn't work out the way you want it? you more devastating than God is. You know why? Because the project really was about you and not about God. So pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm tripping in the road test. I'm tripping in the submission test. Yep. Heads bowed and eyes closed all over this building. Those of you who are joining me online, thank you so much for being a part of this little, this little Sunday school lesson on the day. <laughs> That's really what it is. It's a good, it's a good Sunday school. I could have stole this pop from a Sunday school book. It's good stuff, though. So I want to challenge you.
Heads bowed and eyes closed. Number one, you're in this place and you say, Pastor, I'm, I'm failing the glory test. Not about, it's not about God. In certain areas of my life, I see where it's about me. If that's you, just lift your hand. Where you at? Let me see you. Thank you for your honesty. That's so good. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Thank you. <sighs> Pastor, I'm failing the submission test. That's me. There's some things that God has told me to do, and I have not submitted to his will. If that's you, lift your hand. Let me see who you are. I see you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Number three, Pastor, I'm failing the role test. Role test. There are things, people in my life, I should be honoring, not based on what they have or what I have, based on the role that we are assigned to in each other's life. Being disrespectful in some regards. And others just simply not giving the honor that you do them. If that's you, lift your hand. I want to see you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Father, now in the name of Jesus, God, I want to thank you for, first of all, showing me Greg McGee and where I have missed the mark in the past where I am missing the mark in the present and where the enemy was trying to set me up to miss the mark in the future. <laughs> Thank you, God, for the gentle conviction of the Holy Spirit that empowers us to see truth and motivates us to see change. And God, there are some, even watching us online, they raised their hands and they said, that's me. I'm failing the glory test. I'm failing the submission test. I'm failing the role test right now. I see myself that's saying I'm ready to change. God, I thank you for the truth of the scripture that humility is our responsibility because you said if we either humble ourselves actively or passively, you will. You will humble us ourselves. You will humble us. So God, we choose to humble ourselves. We choose to re-examine how you can get glory how we can, yes, let our light shine, but you, you give us the glory. You, the glory goes to you. We're reevaluating, God, how, mm, what do I need to do to go back and submit completely to what you told me to do? Yeah, I know I, t I told some people already falsely things that you said that I wasn't really sure. I felt that I really did feel, I really did feel in my spirit, but I said it with such a confidence and such a boldness as if I was 100% sure and I wasn't. I need to go back and make that thing. I need you to help me with that, God. Today, I need ah, this role assignment, God. I need to apologize to some people. I need to make it right. So heads bowed and eyes closed.